Welcome to the Year in the Bible podcast. My name is Jay Smith. I am your host. With me today is Jimmy Doyle and Travis Bruno. And uh, we're so thankful that you're joining in this part two of chapter 15 and 16 as we conclude the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you haven't been following us along, uh, we are on the verge of moving into the Gospel of Matthew. And I just encourage you to pick it up there. And you can follow us and comment and engage in a forum there at read-scripture.com. Uh, we believe that scripture is intended to be read in community. And so jump over there and check that out. We are in the Gospel of Mark, as I mentioned, and we're going we're gonna to start here in verse 42. Now, when evening had already come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a highly regarded member of the council who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. He called the centurion and asked him if he had been dead for some time. When Pilate was informed by the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. After Joseph bought a linen cloth and took down the body, he wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone across the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, saw where the body was placed. One of the things I do want to just kind of mention and and also was a part of the crucifixion story is Mark is very intentional of defining the women that were with Jesus at the end in the resurrection. And then on top of that, Mark in the earlier part of chapter 15, talking about the resurrection or crucifixion, he also mentions that these women were also the supporters of Jesus when he was in ministry in Galilee. And so I don't think that's an unintentional uh, addition by Mark. I think Mark is very much uh, defining the role of women within the early church community and specifically in the life of Jesus. And so uh, is there anything more to that? Is that, am I far off on making that assumption? No, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's uh, significant. I think it does show that these women had a role in the early church. Uh, and I think it's significant that all the men abandoned Jesus, but the women don't like they may be standing far off and watching, but they're right there. And, uh, you know, what we're going to see is even greater significance for these women in the, in the coming verses that we're about to see. Uh, I think, uh, forms of church that have limited and denied the role of women should pay attention to the reality of how the, how the message of Jesus is tied to and centered so much on women. It actually says in the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke, that it's the women that support, that were financially supporting Jesus ministry. Uh, I, I think that's an important thing. And here they are when no one else is around, everybody has left him. They're here in this story. It's incredible. Yeah. And so uh, I, I don't know. I feel like that was important, but I do want to just go back a little bit. Joseph of Arimathea uh, was a highly regarded member of the council. And so are we talking, what council are we talking about here? Like, would he have been there in that initial trial that Jesus went where they couldn't get their testimonies to align? Yeah. He's a part of the group that was making the plans is kind of the idea. The council, that the planning council. So the implication is that he was a part of the Sanhedrin. And, and we uh, see that a little more later in the other gospels. It gives the other gospels flesh out who he was. They say that he was a righteous man. He's a part of the group, but he was a defender of Jesus and later becomes a follower of Jesus if he wasn't already. Yeah. yeah. All right, Travis, 
what do you, what do you, uh, as we're moving to the resurrection, as we're looking, Jesus has died. He's, he's about to be buried. Like, what are some of the things that, that you noticed or picked from this part of the passage? Uh, I mean, yeah, I like what you pointed out about, um, the women earlier. And I just think it's encouraging that, um, this Joseph guy, uh, took courage and, and went to Pilate and went to do something, you know, I, I'm assuming in some way to give honor to Jesus in his death and not just to watch or abandon, um, but in his position and in the group that he was a part of, um, because he was looking himself for the kingdom of God. Um, so I just think that's encouraging. Yeah. And so if you've ever been to Israel or you plan on going to Israel, <clears throat> pardon me, there are two sites uh, that have a competing claim on where the tomb was. Uh, you have the tomb that is in, oh gosh, I'm going to mistake the names of it, but you have the tomb that is in uh, I, the tomb in the garden. Is that yeah, right? The garden tomb. Yeah. The garden tomb. Yeah. Uh, and that one looks more like probably what you think about, right? When you're looking at it, it like literally is in the side of a cliff. And so there's a stone and you can dig a hole out of it. But most people, uh, think that the tomb is actually, and I can't even remember church of a uh, church of the Holy Sepulcher. And so there's the, the tomb would be there and it's actually, I mean, it feels like it's maybe a stone's throw from where the crucifixion would have taken care, uh, would have occurred. Uh, so Jimmy, maybe walk us through a little bit of the geography of some of this. I think that's, that's something that maybe we miss when you talk about Golgotha, when you talk about uh, where the tomb was, what does all of that look like in a first century uh, frame? Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would invite the listeners if you can like find a map of some of this, like go to Google maps first and, and you look at the old city of Jerusalem. Um, you can find the church, the Holy Sepulcher. And at the time of Jesus, that area was actually outside the walls of Jerusalem and there are tombs there. And if you go to this church, the Holy Sepulchre, if you can go, it's hard to get a picture because they've built a huge church. They built two huge churches around it. it. Has a big dome. It's beautiful. If you go off to one of the side rooms, there are actually tombs that you can go into that were just some of the tombs that were in that area, and that probably gives you a better picture of what these tombs were like. And then there is a garden tomb that's outside the Damascus Gate on the north side of the old city. That's very popular among certain groups of Christians. It was discovered in the 1800s it's kind of been modified in a different way. So they've made it into a very beautiful garden and that type of thing. And it feels very reflective in a different way than the church of the the Holy Sepulcher. But those tombs are actually, it's a mix. They're way older than Jesus and way later than Jesus. There is really no archeological evidence that the garden tomb is in any way related to a first century burial area. So most people would have been buried in shallow graves. Common people would wealthy people would have been buried in tombs. And what they would do is they would place their bodies in those places and put, you know, uh, ointment on them that smells good to kind of help cover the the smell of a body decaying. And they would let the body decay and then they would take the bones and put them inside these bone boxes that scholars call ossuaries. And then they would keep those bone boxes. And, and what's interesting is we have the bone boxes of Caiaphas. We have a bone box that may be James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, we've got a lot of these different uh, things. And that was kind of the process Crucifixion, usually what Romans did in most parts of the, of the world that they conquered, a crucified victim would be alive for maybe a day or two and then just die over time. 
It's surprising to Pilate that Jesus has died so quickly because that's not what normally happens unless they broke the legs. And if they broke the legs of a person, which they do to the, in, in the other gospels, they do to the thieves on either side, they can no longer push themselves up to breathe because you lose control of the breathing capacity when your arms are hanging out there like that. Uh, and that would be a merciful death for them to break your legs and you die quickly. And then they would leave them up on the crosses to rot, basically. In a Jewish context, it's very shameful to leave somebody unburied. And so they made pleas to the Romans that they could take their dead and bury them. And so they did that uh, at different times. And in this case, Joseph of Arimathea pleads for Jesus's body so that he can have an honorable burial. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is probably the closest place that we have to it. Like we really don't know where he was buried because for Christianity, it's not about the tomb. It's about the resurrection. It's not about the place. Um, but for, for Jesus, this is a way of giving him an honor. Here's a person who's been shamed. It's a shameful death. Joseph of Arimathea, Mark says, goes boldly to Pilate. Here's somebody who's been crucified as an insurrectionist. And Joseph of Arimathea says, please let me give him an honorable death before the Passover starts. So moving on to chapter 16. And so just for clarification, uh, we are only going to deal with verses one through eight. And almost every Bible translation these days at least affirms or acknowledges that most of the earliest manuscripts stop the Gospel of Mark at verse 8. So, Jimmy, is there anything you want to talk about before we move into these eight verses about this? Uh, yeah, let's deal with that issue just real quickly before we talk about the story part. This is a resurrection story, and I, I think we should end on it and not end on manuscript distract, dis, discussion. Every version of the Bible that we have that existed before 1500 was handwritten. And uh, when it comes to ancient manuscripts, we have, there are differences in some New Testament manuscripts. And in the Gospel of Mark, the earliest and best manuscripts end at verse 8. And uh, later manuscripts add elements from the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, we know early on from a guy named Jerome and another guy, um, named Eusebius, that there were already issues. They were aware of these different endings. The general agreement then and now is that it ended at verse eight, uh, which is a, it seems like a strange place when we get to it for it to end. Uh, if anybody wants to have a conversation about that, we can do that at readscripture.com or maybe we can do a second podcast on, on some of these textual issues, but uh, we don't want to do that uh, today. We want to focus on the fact that the, the, the story here is is what happens. And so, yeah, we'll just leave it right there. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. So let's read this story and then just see where it takes us. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought aromatic spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They had been asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. Then as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who is crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. Then when they went out and ran from the tomb, for terror and bewilderment had seized them, and they had nothing to they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. End scene. Okay, Travis. 
Lead us off, man. The resurrection, the most significant moment in the history of the world. Yeah, here we go. I would have acted the same way. I don't know. Um, the thing that stood out to me was obviously like this angel tells them to tell his disciples and Peter. Uh, and I wrote in my margin in quotes, especially Peter. Um, and so I went back because it says there you will see him just as he told you. And so I did remember that Jesus mentioned something about Galilee, um, a few days earlier. Um, and in, in that passage is when he's talking to Peter. Um, he says, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Um, this is 14 verse 28. Um, and this is, you know, when Peter is saying, even though they'll all fall away and if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Um, so that's like Peter has this declaration moment that he won't abandon him. And we know that he does deny him in, in these things. And, and so just kind of the parallel in my mind was like, even though Peter says like, I would die before I deny or abandon you. And Jesus literally dies f- for them and will be with them and meeting them in Galilee. And so just kind of that was significant to me. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting a little chapter. Well, I think that just in reference, like we recognize, we remember that in the gospel of Mark, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection three different times. Right. So this isn't, this isn't something that he wasn't already preparing for. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it still would be startling and that's okay. Uh, but I know that the Marys that were here would have, at least remembered at some point when they just like the shock wore off. Oh yeah. Jesus said this was going to happen. This isn't, this isn't new, but there's no way that you go into a space looking for a dead body to anoint. And there's not a dead body, but a young or a man dressed in white. There's no way that doesn't uh, startle you a little bit. Here's one of the things I caught. I don't know if this is necessarily intentional or just something that resonated with me is, here in verse one is is they brought aromatic spices so that they may, may go and anoint him. And one of the cool parts, if you remember from chapter 14, maybe. Yeah. So at the beginning of chapter 14 is the extravagant anointing of the woman who poured, you know, a year's worth of wages uh, upon Jesus. And Jesus says, like, this woman has anointed me for my burial. Uh, to so she had already done what they were coming to do. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's obviously an intention to that, but it's just something I probably haven't ever caught before um, is that they came to bring anointing oil and he had already been anointed for his burial. So uh, that's one of the things I stuck with that sticks with me. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot, obviously. I think the emphasis of Peter is spot on, uh, Travis, not only because Mark probably got a majority of his gospel from Peter's retelling the story. Um, but, but in addition to that, just the fact that there is this redemptive thing and we know from the gospel of John that it, it, it is a substantial redemption moment. So, uh, all right, that's, that's some of the things that kind of hit me at first. So Jimmy, what about you, man, when you deal with the resurrection, what are the things that you feel like are, are really important to, to deal with? I think, uh, <clears throat> I think Mark is a literary genius. I really do. Like I, I love reading the gospel of Mark. I think he uses words and he uses scenes really intentionally. Uh, I think that he makes tie-ins to other things. So like Travis pointing out, 
or Jay, you're pointing out like this, this anointing by the women, like, uh, I, those are not accidental things. And, uh, I think they are things that really happened. I don't think Mark's making them up, but of the things that really happened, Mark is making these intentional connections. Um, I also think it's fascinating that, that, uh, you know, there's all kinds of theories as to why Mark ends where he ends. And he actually ends on a word that is really not common for uh, a Greek sentence to, to end in. There's a reason though. So there's a word gar, which means for or because. And this word in Greek has to come after the first word of a sentence. So it sounds kind of weird to us, but if I was saying, oh yeah, I have to run to the store because I need bread, I would actually say, I have to run to the store I need bread because, right? And then I would go on with the rest of the sentence. So it does not, it can't proceed, it can't come first, but it's rare for it to end a sentence. And so there's kind of a dot, dot, dot at the end of this gospel. It feels like it's not finished. It feels like the sentence kind of drops off, that there should be more coming. And either Mark did that in... uh, on purpose, or we do have a missing ending, right? There's, there's a debate among scholars. I think most scholars have come down at this point to say, no, Mark's brilliant. And he leaves this kind of ellipsis ending that there's more to the story and everybody knows it. And it leaves the audience hanging like, Oh gosh, tell us more. Or maybe they already know the more. Uh, so that, you know, that brings that excitement, but these women are, are told something to say and they go away. And, and what's interesting is Jesus has repeatedly said to people in these got in this gospel, don't tell anybody about me. And they go off and they tell. And what's weird is there's a flip here. He actually tells them to go say something. And it says they say nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And it's like, what? What is happening? And it kind of leaves you hanging. You want more. You want to know what happens. And I think it opens it up to this live, my guess is, is this live discussion that would take place for anybody who had read it or had heard it being read because Mark clearly believes in the resurrection of Jesus. Like some, some people want to point out there is no, if if the gospel of Mark ends here, there is no resurrection appearance. There's an empty tomb with a young man who's probably an angel. Cause he's kind of depicted as an angel dressed in white and they're fearful when they see him. But it's clear that Mark believes in the resurrection. He believes in a resurrected Jesus. There also feels like to me that there's something really uh, personal to Mark's community in this, like this thing about going ahead to Galilee. And the other gospels, for the most part, the resurrections are in Jerusalem and the disciples are interacting with Jesus in Jerusalem. We do have one story from the gospel of John that takes place in Galilee. But I kind of wonder if Mark has Galilean Christians in his community or people who have fled to Galilee, maybe after the destruction of the temple. And he's trying to say the resurrected Jesus is in your presence. He's with you in Galilee. And... um and maybe and that connection to a, to a, what would be called a Petrine, a, a Peter's communities of, of followers. He's, he's emphasizing that Peter, Peter's reinstated by Jesus. And we get a bigger picture of that in the gospel of John too. In Galilee, Peter is reinstated in the gospel of John. That doesn't happen here, but it's clearly a part of the early church story. And so I think in Mark, you have a hint at that. Go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And that's where Peter is going, going to be restored, at least according to the gospel of John. So, but all that's left open here. It's, it's an incredible thing. Like so many unanswered questions at the end of Mark. So how do you think, how do you think as, as readers of the Bible that we can be, uh, I don't know, how, how do we have the space 
to be able to to guess or at least to have like an educated hypothesis or whatever about what Mark is heading toward? Like, how do you do that in a way that is, um, I don't know, safe? Or how do you do that in a way that is doesn't give too much in the sense of like, okay, so the gospel ends here. And for me is I immediately kind of go to where you are, where it's like, what a, if I'm like in this synagogue and I'm teaching the story of Jesus and how like, so this is what happened and this and the crucifixion and they walked away from the terrified. And then you either roll the, you know, roll your scroll up or you stop telling the story. And then you're just like, and let me tell you what happened next. Right. You know, giving that space to kind of continue the story, both with, uh, you know, this is Peter's reinstatement, but here's the story of Pentecost and here's the story. Like, this is how we got to where we are right now. Like, I think that I, it's not hard to make that jump uh, to feel that as part of the story. How do you do that responsibly is what I'm asking to where it's not like, oh, yeah, well, Mark did blank or Mark just didn't finish the story because it's inauthentic. Or is there a way to do that? responsibly, I, I think is the question I'm asking for, for somebody who's reading the scripture to say, you know, I just, maybe this proves an error in it, or maybe this is something else. Like, is there anything that, that you would just caution somebody or encourage somebody when they come on things like this? Um, I don't know. I think, I think we do what we're doing right now. And I think okay. we point out that there are these other stories and, and the early, so these other additions that are added, there's actually five endings to the gospel of Mark in the manuscript traditions, which tells me that other people didn't like the way that Mark ended either. Other Christians didn't like it. And so we've got these filled in versions of these stories, but the thing is, is they all come from the other gospels, which to me says, okay, so Mark ends here. He, he had whatever his reasons were for leaving it open. We also have the fuller picture of these stories in these other gospels that we can turn to and thank God for that, that we can see these other early Christian stories that were preserved. Uh, so if I want a fuller picture of what happened, I can turn there. I think it it does present kind of a um, synergistic moment for communities of believers and maybe an individual to say, where is the resurrected Jesus? Right? Where is he? Where is he in this story? Which I think can easily lead to where is the resurrected Jesus in my life or in our community? And I think that uh, that would be a, a natural conversation to have. Um, you know, and it's, to me that, I don't know, to me, the manuscript issue is not an issue. Like that's not a reason not to believe anything or um, it's not a, there are people who would say, well, look, our first recorded story of Jesus is probably the gospel of Mark and there is no resurrected Jesus in this story. So that points that people started making up that story later. Uh, I think that's a hard case to make. You got the apostle Paul who's proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus in every letter that he writes, which is, which predates the gospel of Mark. We know that the central theme, we know from Roman sources that the central theme for Christianity was that Christians were saying that Jesus was still alive. Uh, there is no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus. He is a failed Messiah. If Jesus was not resurrected, he's just another failed Messiah. And and Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 15, the Corinthians, and that we're looking at like the 50s, you know, this is 20 years later, Paul is saying he was resurrected. I heard that from Peter. I heard it from the other apostles. It was handed on to me. 500 believers at one time saw him alive. So, uh, and again, Jesus has said over and over to Mark, I will be raised. I will be raised. The, the young man who's dressed in white here says he was, 
He doesn't say he got up. It's in the, it's in the passive. He was raised. So yeah, Jesus was raised. Mark believes that Jesus has been saying it. And so for those of us who are wondering, well, what's next in the story? I think we can read the other gospels to get the historical context. But I think for me myself, like it's the question of where is the resurrected Jesus for me? How am I experiencing Jesus? What is he saying to me? And where is he wanting to lead me? Right. He's going to go before me somewhere. Where am I going to go where he's going to be? And that's, I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. I don't know if that's responsible or not, but that's my take on it. So. (laughs) I think that is a perfect space to uh, conclude our time together. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in this journey through the gospel of Mark. Uh, But we are just getting started. So, uh, I didn't mean to do it, but I did give some space for Jimmy to say how important it is to read the other Gospels. And so guess what? Uh, We're starting the Gospel of Matthew. And so the Gospel of Matthew is a very Jewish uh, Gospel, one trying to make sure that we make the connection of Jesus and uh, Moses, the Old Testament, the Torah, all of those things. And so just as as a starting point, we'll probably have a little bit of a uh, introduction to help you I don't know, understand a little bit about what we're reading before we get into it. So it's Gospel of Matthew coming around the corner. So if you are reading this with us or listening to these podcasts and and you got into it halfway through Mark or at the end of Mark, but you'd like to start with us, start with Matthew chapter one through four. We'll be reading on April 3rd and we'll fill that weekend. So thanks a lot for joining us. Make sure you check us out at read-scripture.com. It's a great place to engage in conversation. And if you listen to this, I just encourage you, go jump on the forum. Like even if you're saying things or alluding to things, or resonating with things. And so you feel weird saying things that we talked about on this podcast again, like throw that out there because I think we never know how one conversation can start that can really impact our understanding of Jesus by you just taking the opportunity to say something in that forum. So thanks again for listening. Thank you, Travis and Jimmy. And we will see you next week with the Gospel of Matthew.